Hello and good morning. It is Wednesday, October the 4th, currently 10 a.m. here in Teaneck, and you are listening to WFDU HD3, the student voice of Fairleigh Dickinson University. And this is The Night Zone with Charlie Carmetto, a show where we cover all that is happening on the banks of the Hackensack in the world of FDU athletes. Athletics well. The MLB postseason kicked off yesterday. I am in a great mood. The Philadelphia Phillies won their first wild card game at home against the Miami Marlins. Hopefully, showing again that they are primed for another deep run in these October playoffs. And I'm also in a good mood because it was a good week for FDU athletics. The women's volleyball team went two and one. Men's soccer earned a tough conference draw on the road, and women's soccer is heating up, and they continued their hot streak. And we're going to break that all down, plus an interview I am very excited about with FDU women's bowling coach Carrie Martinez, a guy I am proud to call a friend, and I'm just very excited to get to talk to him today. But to start, let's do a little Chuck's Corner, and I want to talk about baseball. The MLB postseason did kick off yesterday with four wild card round games, and there are very few sports fans in the world who don't love October baseball. Stadiums are filled. They're raucous. There's this constant tension that naturally builds and builds, holding your attention. The producers of these broadcasts do an unbelievable job of mixing crowd shots with close-ups on players in the dugouts that just add to the drama. And then, all of a sudden, these electric moments just seem to burst out of thin air and send these ballparks into such a frenzy that almost seems to transcend the television screen and rock the living room that you are watching in. It is just phenomenal television. But I don't have to tell you how great postseason baseball is. Most people who tune in can see it for themselves. It doesn't need any further explanation from me. Regular season baseball is different, though. It's a long 162-game season. A lot of fans find it hard to be tuned in through the dog days of summer. Games can be boring, and it can sometimes be a less-than-engaging product. And attendance numbers over the last 20 years have reflected this sentiment. If you pay attention to sports media, you have no doubt heard the claim that baseball is dying. Well, baseball looked and sounded a lot different this year. The pitch clock was introduced. Now, when the pitch clock was announced and initially introduced in spring training, it was met with a lot of skepticism, mostly from baseball purists who argued that messing with the game and speeding it up would go against everything that baseball represented and stood for. It would ruin some of the natural tension that I just talked about from building up. Also, there were some technical issues with the clock that added to the controversy. However, once those technical issues subsided and the season got rolling, it was clear, at least to me, that the pitch clock was going to be beneficial to baseball and the overall fan experience. Games went from taking an average of 3 hours and 6 minutes in 2022 down to 2 hours and 42 minutes in 2023. You know, I'd be thinking 24 minutes, that doesn't sound like uh, that much of a time, but it made a massive difference. There was more action in less amounts of time. Rarely did games feel like they were ever dragging on. There were much less lulls in these games where it felt like it was an eternity before something finally happened or somebody put a ball in play. Overall, baseball became a much more digestible product for fans of all ages. Particularly younger fans who may not have had the attention span to sit through games before the pitch clock. 
And now we're able to enjoy the baseball games that much more. And obviously, this younger demographic is an important one for Major League Baseball to hit. And the numbers bear out that this was a good step for Major League Baseball. These numbers that I'm about to read are courtesy of John Heyman on Twitter. There was a 9.6% increase in attendance in 2022, the highest increase in the major leagues since 1993. 26 of 30 MLB teams saw increased attendance. Eight teams had over 3 million, 3 million people attend their games this year. This is the most teams that have hit that mark in a decade since 2013. More people are going to baseball games. More people are enjoying baseball games. It is just a better product this year. And I'm not saying this is all because of the pitch clock, but you cannot argue with the correlation. Games are quicker, more action-packed, and overall more entertaining. So hats off to Major League Baseball and Commissioner Rob Manfred. Adding a clock into baseball was a risky move, and you certainly did risk alienating alienating those baseball purists and diehards that I already talked about. However, something about baseball needed to change. That was clear. And the league may have just hit the nail on the head, as it certainly seems to be paying off. That was Chuck's Corner. Now let's get into some FDU Athletics news with... Maybe the hottest team on campus, it's the women's soccer. They've won three out of four matches, and they are trending in the right direction and seeing results pay off. They've shut out three of their last four opponents in that span, including the last two on this two-match winning streak that they are currently on. Their week began with a 3 nothing win over Stone Hill, and let's listen to how it sounded on NEC Front Row. Kickoff between Stonehill and FDU here on NEC Front Row, live from a rainy and cold University Stadium. Stonehill coming in with a record of 0-10-1 on the year, 0-3 in conference play. And FDU 1-10 overall, and one of those wins did come in conference play. They're 1-2 in the NEC. Corners played high in the air. Headed down, Lupron in front, and it trickles in. FDU strikes first. It took a fortuitous bounce in front of Lupron, and she tapped it in to give FDU a 1-0 lead. That will do it. 45 minutes in the books. FDU has a 1-0 lead. They take 10 shots in the period. Stonehill gets six themselves, but are still looking to try to beat Marie Jacobson. You're watching NEC Front Row. We'll have the second half when we come back. Martinez now. FDU trying to get out in transition. Good ball from Housen. She's going to connect with Salas. Business wide open for the Knights. Played into the middle. Martinez on the end of it. Martinez scores! The freshman with the insurance goal. Cardaba, though, steals it away. The freshman in space slots it home. Poised, confident. And FDU leads it 3-0. FDU faithful rises to their feet. It's going to be a 3-0 complete victory for the Knights over Stonehill. They improve to 2-10 on the year. 
And more importantly, they get back to 500 in conference play at 2-2. Two and two. Uh, that was me you heard on play-by-play, play, courtesy of NEC Front Row, from a dominant 3 nothing win for the FDU women's soccer team at University Stadium that took place last Thursday. And it was one of the more complete performances that we have seen from the team this year. And if you've been listening or paying attention to the team, things have really been building to this point. They have been improving every match. If you remember, they started out that's the season on that long losing streak, but players are starting to find their roles on this team, and it's giving them a very nice structure to build off of. Example, Graduate student Nina Carla Musto, she's starting to play in the midfield where her veteran presence is a really nice plus, where she knows where to position herself well and also set up her teammates in transition. And because of that, Andrea Ugard has slid back to center back and she has anchored an incredibly strong and sound defensive back line and I want to point her out because it's a new role for her she was more involved in the offense last year but now as a sophomore taking on that defensive role and she has really anchored and shored things up back there for the Knights and because of this because of these players sliding into the roles the the offense is just more efficient combinations are getting better each game the chemistry is clearly building And there were a lot of positives to take out of this one. I also thought it was good to see them dominate a team. It does one thing for your confidence to eke out these wins against teams below you in the table, but this was a must win. Coming into this game, they were 1-2 and in the NEC, going up against winless Stonehill at home. And if you lost this game to Stonehill, fell to 1-3, and three, all of a sudden that climb up the table to get yourself into the playoff race seems that much higher. But this group responded incredibly well, dominating the match from start to finish. And that bared out in the shot column as they outshot the Skyhawks 22-10. In this game, the youth really started to show their talent and ability. Katia Cardaba and Laura Martinez have both played very big roles on this team and have played them incredibly well. Laura Martinez herself has started every single game this year for Eric Teepe, and she serves as the focal point of possession. A lot of the offense goes through her. I should say a lot of the transition offense goes through for her, and they both, Martinez and Cardaba, scored their first career goals in this game, so it was nice to see them rewarded in that moment and not to mention Anna Salas who is scoring at will and she scored on Sunday's matchup against St. Francis PA and let's listen to how that one sounded on NEC front row. Sunday matinee for FDU women's soccer right here at University Stadium on NEC Front Row. Hello, everybody. My name is Charlie Carpenetto. It is so good to be keeping you company for this afternoon tilt between the FDU Knights and the St. Francis Red Flag Ward. Lupron! one nothing Knights! Just like that. And a beautiful combination of passes puts Lupron in the perfect position, and then FDU strikes first. It's Lupron's second goal in as many games, and the third goal of her season, the fifth goal of her career. 
Blair deflects it. Moving with speed. Are things on here for Lair? Puts it on and slotted through the exclamation point courtesy of Ana Salas. FDU will certainly win this one now. They lead it two to nothing with just under three minutes remaining here at University Stadium. They will not. It is cleared away, and FDU defeats the Red Flash by a score of two to nothing. They move to three and two in NEC conference play. They go to three and ten on the year and keep moving their way up the table. It's another sun. Well, you just heard me say it. FDU is now three and two in NEC conference play. This was their third win in their last four matches. FDU is now 3-4 and four in games that they have scored first this year. That means they have gotten out on the front foot in seven of their matches. Now, at one point this year, FDU was 1-4 in games that they scored first. But now they're learning how to play with the lead. And maybe that's the best part about this team. Starting strong is so important, especially for a youthful group like they are. It allows them to play with confidence, not stray away from their style of soccer. And now that they have secured a couple of leads, they're starting to tack on insurance goals, which just gives them all the more confidence to build off of this. And to go off that, like we already mentioned with Andrea Ugard, this team is starting to surrender less and less real scoring opportunities. And a shout out to Marie Jakobsen, the freshman goalkeeper who was just named Defensive Player of the Week and Co-Rookie of the Week in the NEC for her back-to-back shutouts. She made seven saves against Stonehill to keep the Skyhawks off the board. So it, goals are tough to come by for opponents against FDU right now. And when you're a team like FDU that has consistently shown the ability to get on the board first, and then on top of that, you limit the opponent's chances, you are going to be incredibly hard to beat. I want to point out Ana Salas as well. Four goals on the year in her freshman season. Top 10 in the conference. And against St. Francis, we saw her really start to create her own opportunities on the offensive end. Man, is she electric. We saw impressive ball handling skills that got her into positions where she was able to fire left-footed shots from distance that challenged the goalkeeper that you just don't see a lot from players. But going forward, I think this match on Sunday, and now she was able to tally the goal in the 88th minute, is going to give her the mindset that I can score at will against the opponents and I am going to go out there and try to score every time I touch the ball. FDU now sits in fourth in the NEC at three and two, five games to go in the season, firmly in the playoff race. Four of those games come against teams below them in the standings, so a real opportunity to cement their seating. Their next matchup comes on Sunday. It's a road game at LIU. It'll be at 11 a.m. on NEC Front Row. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to take a look at the week ahead for women's volleyball and men's soccer. You're listening to The Night Zone on WFDU HD3, the student voice of Fairleigh Dickinson University. We just talked about the women's soccer team, and now let's go from the pitch inside to the Rothman Center 
to check in on women's volleyball, who currently sits at 2-2 two and two in NEC play. And that is good enough to put them in a tie for third place with St. Francis U. Sacred Heart 4-0 and LIU 3-1 are the two teams that sit ahead of them. Last weekend, they split their matches with a loss to St. Francis PA, but they bounced back nicely with a sweep over Le Moyne in their first ever meeting with the Dolphins' newly minted members of the NEC. And both of those matches came on the road. So all things considered, you go one and one on the road. You're not going to be feeling too bad about yourselves. And now... Opportunity for some home cooking. Two matches inside the Rothman Center this week. It starts tonight with their last non-conference game of the season. It'll be against Stony Brook, who is currently 7-9 and overall and 3-3 three and three in the Colonial Athletic Association. It's actually only the second only uh, the second ever meeting between these two programs. The last was a five-set victory for FDU in a neutral match that took place at Ithaca, All the way back in 2001, I was just over two years old at that time, so going to be cool to see these two programs play tonight that don't necessarily draw each other very often. And then, after tonight, NEC play resumes on Saturday in a big match for FDU, 5 p.m. at home against LIU. And as I just mentioned, the Sharks are 3-1, and so it is an opportunity for FDU to draw even with them in the standings and move into second place in the NEC with not too much of the season left to go. We are really getting down to it in the women's volleyball slate as well. Take a look back in 2022. They split the two matches, and interestingly enough, and relevant to Saturday, The road team actually won both matches where these two teams met last year. Not only won, dominated. Both of them were sweeps. FDU swept LIU at LIU, and then LIU came here to Hackensack and swept the Knights. So that's really interesting. I'm looking forward to seeing how that matchup plays out. Again, it's a 5 p.m. start on Saturday, 6 p.m. start tonight. You can catch both of those matches on NEC Front Row. Well... Let's take a walk from the Rothman Center back out to University Stadium to check on men's soccer. FDU is 1-0-1, tied with three other teams at the top of the NEC. Went on the road last weekend for a Sunday matinee against St. Francis, PA. Actually fell behind in that game, but... Some heroics from Jade Hamdawa and Spencer King, as we've become so used to seeing from this group and from those two guys in particular, were able to get them back into that match and earn a 1-1 draw. Jade Hamdawa scored a penalty kick goal to even the match, and Spencer King actually saved another penalty kick. Opponents are three, or excuse me, opponents are just one for four on penalty kicks against Spencer King this year. He continues to be a difference maker. I say it every week. There's not too many goalkeepers that are difference makers, and Spencer King is certainly one of them. So, they get two matches at home this week. Thursday, 7 p.m. at home against LeMoyne. First ever meeting with the Dolphins. LeMoyne is having some success. Credit to them. Making the jump from D2 to Division 1 this year. Jumping from the Northeast 10 into the Northeast Conference, and they already have a conference win under their belt at 1-0-1. and 
They also have played a tough non-conference schedule. They've played teams like Penn State. So they certainly did not go into the Division One lightly without expectations. They jumped right into it, are playing the big boys, and they come to University Stadium on Thursday at 7 p.m. And then FDU wraps up their week, a Sunday matinee, 3 p.m. at home against Sacred Heart. Sacred Heart is 1-1-1, one, one, and one, one of the only teams in the NEC to have three conference games already under their belt in the books. Last year in 2022, it was a favorable matchup for the Knights. They defeated Sacred Heart on the road 2 to nothing in the regular season, and then they drew the Pioneers again at home in the NEC semifinal and absolutely took care of business. It was a 3 nothing win for the Knights en route to advancing to the NEC championship. So you take those matchups, it's a combined score of 5 to nothing in 2022 in favor of the Knights. So a matchup that I'm sure they are looking forward to. Two matches this week, one against LeMoyne, one against Sacred Heart. It's an opportunity for them to create some separation in the NEC. You can catch both of those matches on NEC front row or come out to University Stadium and support. Well, we're going to take one more break. When we come back, we have a very special guest, first-year women's bowling head coach Carrie Martinez. You're listening to The Night Zone on WFDU HD3, the student voice of Fairleigh Dickinson University. And now I am joined by somebody I am very happy to call a good friend, Carrie Martinez. And Carrie is set to begin his first season as head coach of the women's bowling team here at FDU, just the second coach in program history. And Carrie, thanks for joining us. Hi, Charles. Uh, thank you for having me here. I'm extremely excited, uh, very eager, and it's an honor to be here, man. Thank you. Yeah, let me introduce you a little bit and go over your resume. You spent the last two years here as a graduate assistant at FDU under Mike Lepresti, and I can tell you this guy absolutely lives and breathes bowling. <laughs> Former captain of the Arizona State Bowling Program, USBC All-American honoree as a senior, ranked in the top 20 nationally among USBC bowlers in his senior year, second-team All-American consecutively from 2019 to 21. Also has had success at the professional ranks, winning the 2019 Quebec AMF, AMF Promotional Cup in France. And, Kerry, I do want to talk a little bit about your journey to FDU a little more, but let's focus on the 2023-2024 FDU women's bowling team, a Absolutely. team that you expect to have some success, some success. Last year coming off a NEC regular season championship, NEC runners-up to Secret Heart in the tournament, ranked 15th nationally coming into this season. And who are some of the key returnees on this squad that you are going to lead on, lean on to lead the team? So I have to say my upperclassmen, of course, but honestly all of my returners. A majority of them uh, have been to the Final Four with me, with uh, Mike Lepresti as well, so they have tremendous experience there. Last year, we had a lot of uh, ups and downs as a team, and I think this team can rally behind each other. They learn how to work together and face adversity. Uh, a few names, Alicia, Juliana, Emily, Hannah, Jen, and Shayna. Those are my returners, and i got to give props to all of them. They work diligently. They put, in the, they put in hustle. They, You know, you name it, they're doing it, and I'm very proud of them. Uh, a few new people we have are Amanda, Amy, and Macy. Uh, tr- tremendous, tremendous individuals. 
they are adapting to the team very well. The lifts are pretty exciting. It's amazing to see them grow in bowling already. And uh, yeah, as a youthful coach, you know, right now I'm really focusing on team bonding and making sure that as a team, we understand what it means to be a team and, you know, taking the helm of that. So we've been having a lot of fun. And you mentioned it. This is a program with a lot of success, national championships, final fours, and success that you have been a part of here in Hackensack. Now it's time to make your own imprint. How do you balance that with, you know, coming into a program with a lot of history and now you are going to establish your own sort of identity as a team. What does, what does that identity look like, and how, and how do you uh, go about finding that balance? Well, first off, it's about honoring the past and honoring about the, the institution and the program as a whole. This is a very historical program, and my job and my mission is to ensure it stays that way. Honor the past, respect the future. And uh, I believe as a coach, I can really bridge the past and the future together, bring in a lot of old ideas and innovate them and make them more about the modern game. And I think that requires an understanding of the past, the present, and the future. You know, I rely on my mentors a lot. I ask them questions every single day. And that's because I value their knowledge. And I ask a lot of my, my current players because they're the ones doing it, right? And so when I kind of blend the two is when we have the most success. Yeah, and, and how old are you, Carrie? I'm 24. Yeah, 24 years old, taking over a Division One program, one of the youngest coaches or head coaches in the country. How has it been since taking over the program this summer? Like, what has the experience been like for you? I imagine a dream come true. Absolutely. So I've been competing in bowling since eight years old. So for the past 16 years of my life, I have competed every weekend, just about. Um, so being a youthful head coach is exactly that. It's a dream. But it's exciting, it's exhilarating, and it's honestly the biggest challenge I've ever embarked on. Um, it requires the utmost discipline and time management skills than I've ever had to use in the past. It's an understanding of priorities and sacrifices. Um, but again, I give so much credit to my mentors, Jordan Asberg and Mike Lepresti. The two of them taught me everything I know today. And without them, I don't think I would be in this position. And and you, you just mentioned it. You've competed in bowling at top levels your entire life. I know you very well. You mm -hmm. are a competitor at heart. What are you going to take from those experiences as a competitor in your coaching? And how do you hope to instill some of that into your team here at FDU? Oh, excellent question. <laughs> so the first thing is uh, really drawing from my experience as an athlete. And second, drawing my experience just as a human being. And understanding that while bowling is my life, it's not all of life. And that uh, as a coach, finding a balance between like passion, competition, and like personal life. Um, something I take very seriously is mental health. And that's something my parents took very seriously, which I think is why I found success. Is because they were patient with me. If I told them, hey, I'm struggling right now, like I trusted them enough to open up, they reciprocated. You know, I got to bowl on my terms a lot. And I think that's why I love to bowl, because it was my choice. And that's kind of what I incentivize here, is as a coach, it's your choice. Whatever you put in is what you get out. And so I'm not going to, I'm going to hold you to the highest standard, but you got to work. You got to put in the effort. And I think when you, when effort meets passion, effort meets passion, excuse me, uh, beautiful things can happen. And I think I'm a living example of that. You know, I'm an extremely passionate person, and I like to believe no one will ever outwork me. So that's why I'm here where I'm at. 
So you mentioned your playing experience, but last two years you did serve as a graduate assistant. It was your first real time um, serving as an assistant coach of a program. I know you give lessons in your uh, free time as well. What have you learned about coaching in the past two years that may have been a surprise to you or just anything that you're going to take from the last two years that you're going to inst- or use as a head coach now? Oh, excellent. Another excellent question. Um, well, first off, to kind of answer that, I'm going to tell a little story. Um, I call my parents a lot, and I'll laugh at them because now that I'm coaching a lot, there are so many things that as parents they would tell me or talk about that I never really understood until I became a coach, um, just letting people do what they need to do, letting people have the room to grow. Um, honestly, the biggest thing is just open communication and trust. Uh, something I learned in the past was asking, like, like I was as a student and as a captain of ASU, I did not ask my players how they felt a lot. I expected them to show up and try their best every day. Um, as a new head coach and as an assistant coach for two years, I learned that engaging with your player, developing a personal relationship and a personal rapport, and that trust is how you create a championship team. It's about ensuring that your player can look at you and know he will always have my back. And that is something that I take very seriously in knowing that my team knows I will always have their back. Yeah, and that's the biggest thing I've learned in the past two years. Right, and, and I'm sure they appreciate knowing that every day coming into practice. And college sports can can be a grind, and I imagine having that sort of freedom from their head coach can do can do wonders for you as an athlete. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about expectations a little bit. This again, I mentioned this team is ranked 15th in the country. 15th in the country. What are your expectations for this year and going forward as a program? So the biggest thing is drawing the line in the sand. We lost our historic coach, Mike Lepresti. However, I do believe that he instilled a significant amount of knowledge and uh, understanding of the sport into me. So I expect to do, have a successful season. Um, I do want to make it to the conference tournament. That is my number one objective. Winning it is, would be the key. Um, going to postseason my first season would be absolutely incredible. That is my goal. Um, moving forward, I think in the next five, 10 years, it's a strong possibility. We get to the top 10 in the nation. Um, like my first two years here, we went to the final four and the NEC championship. So I do believe that this team is destined for greatness. I do believe that we will see the final four again in my career here. Now let's talk a little bit about bowling in general. Obviously, you know, not the most popular collegiate sport this, uh, there is, but over the last nine months that I've known you and having a lot of deeper conversations about bowling, I have grown to to really appreciate it for what it is. Kind of sell the audience on what makes bowling great and why you love the sport so much. And I'll let you go here for as yeah, long as so you want to go here. I'm extremely passionate about this topic, and my love for bowling comes from a love of all things. And it allows me to be creative but in, in all reality, bowling is a dance. Bowling is about rhythm. It's about the soul. It's about passion. You know, when, when you show up to the bowling center, you don't feel the same way every day. But those pins do, right? Those pins are going to be the same every day. The oil might change. The pattern might change. But you get to choose that. You know, and for me, it's a place I get to show up and express myself. I get to 
to more or less paint the lane with my ball and knock down some pins. And I love that concept. Um, something else I think that is extremely misunderstood about bowling is that it's so unique. It's personal. No one throws the same. Everyone has their own preference of throwing the ball, you know, and who you are as a person will usually relate to your approach and your release significantly. So I can not tell people or understand people through bowling, but from watching someone bowl, you can kind of learn minor habits about them. If they're fast-paced people, slow-paced people, how they think about things, are they methodical? Um, do they overcome problems with power? Do they overcome problems with their thoughts? And as a coach, it helps me understand my players a lot more and helping them develop into young individuals who are going to go out into the real world and get jobs and help them understand their strengths and weaknesses. So bowling is just so much more than just the pins and the ball. Like To me, it's a complete expression of oneself. And if I have the opportunity to coach that and help someone fulfill their dreams, whatever that is, and bowling is a, a way to do it, then I'm one of the luckiest people alive. Because I get to not only embrace what I love to do and the people I love to do it with, but I get to help people achieve more than just bowling. And I think that's the key of bowling. That's the secret of it, is it can lead to so much more than just knocking down pins. Yeah, and have, have you let it sank in that? that you are a 24-year-old head coach of a Division One bowling program? Do you try not to think about it in terms like that? But this is a pretty big accomplishment for you, and taking over a program with a lot of history, you got big shoes to fill. Absolutely. Um, I heard a, a lyric the other day that made me laugh because it was like, I feel like I'm in the middle between joy and pain. And it, I thought it was absolutely true because I love this. I love my job. But you're absolutely right. Being 24... This is a significant uptaking. This is something that I think a lot of people wish they could do. So I do not want to squander this opportunity. You know, I'm up 5.30 every morning, 5 a.m. every morning to make sure that I am prepared for the day to ensure that when I show up, I'm successful. Um, it requires a lot of sacrifices, more than I probably anticipated, right? But that's the beauty of it is without success, without like, I want to be the best person, the best coach the bowling world has ever seen. So it's going to take sacrifices. And I think that having the opportunity to do this at a young age will help me achieve my dreams because it gives me more time to prepare than anyone else. The fact that I will forever have more time over my opponents as a head coach will always be an edge of mine. And while that did scare me, because, you know, it's kind of it's a scary feeling knowing that this is what I want to do the rest of my life. And I'm at an institution, I can't do that. But it's also like, what a blessing. Like, I have an opportunity to create a dynasty, to create, to honestly build upon a dynasty, take apart, like, what was already here, two-time national championship program, and I hopefully can make it more than that. And if I can, man, what an honor. Yeah. What yeah. an honor. And I'll, I'll ask you one more question. We talked about how much you love to compete Pete, how has that transition been for you over the last couple of years, going from a competitor to a coach? Yeah, so coaching yourself is the hardest thing to do, in my opinion, because um, it requires you to be completely objective. You cannot view yourself with emotion. You can't really – it requires a different lens. Um, I feel as though I suffered as a competitor when I first became a coach because of that. I didn't understand how to coach myself. I didn't understand how to communicate with myself. 
and I didn't understand how important self-talk was. And when I became a coach and I had a, you know, Mike Lepresti who was very into competitive self-talk, you know, making sure that you are prepared to compete. And it taught me just how important that really is. That self-talk is the key to success. And as a player, I've began implementing that more. And my love for the game has grown in ways I've never experienced. So as a competitor, it's far more than just looking at my opponent and hoping to beat them. I'm always trying to learn something from what I do now. It's no longer like, uh, what's the word? What's the phrase? I'm not trying to win everything. Now, to me, a win is walking away with knowledge or more understanding of my sport and how to apply that to my team. Um, I think as a head coach, I kind of I call myself a researcher more than I do a coach, because so much of my time is consumed with like analyzing information, um, looking for more information, trying to find the next big thing. Uh, researcher at heart is what I am, and so as a competitor, I get to kind of use my skills as a competitor and as a high level athlete to gain more information to use for my team. And I think as a head coach, that's a very unique thing, especially in the world of bowling where, man, this game changes, it seems like, every day. So being up to date with it will definitely give this program an advantage. But at Carrie Martinez, head coach, women's bowling, ranked 15th in the country. Carrie, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I'm proud enough to call you a very good friend. You're one of my favorite people to talk about bowling with. And not only just bowling, you're one of my favorite people to talk about life with. And I think people listening to this interview can tell just what kind of wealth of knowledge that you have about the sport. And I, for one, am extremely excited to see what you do with this program. Thank you. Thank you very much. And that's going to do it for today's Night Zone. We'll be back next Wednesday at 10 a.m. on WFDUHD3, the student voice of Fairleigh Dickinson University. I'm your host, Charlie Carbonetto. I hope you have a fantastic rest of your week.